0: Open your Bibles to Hosea chapter 1. D- does anybody in this room not know that there was a book in the Bible called Hosea? <laughs> anybody not know? No one's going to raise their hand and admit it. See, <laughs> I asked the youth a few weeks ago this actually, and a bunch of them raised their hands. <laughs> They're not afraid to admit it. <laughs> so, no, I'm, I'm just really excited. Um, what the Lord's put on my heart. I'm just gonna go ahead and pray while you guys turn to Hosea chapter one. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that your word does not return void. I thank you that your word is applicable to us today and that it still speaks. And so Father, I just thank you for who you are and I thank you that you will speak today. Holy Spirit, be the words that speak today. Not my thoughts, not my actions, not me Holy Spirit, you, Holy Spirit, because when you speak, Holy Spirit, lives will change and Jesus will be lifted up and magnified in our midst. And so, Father, I pray and I thank you for everyone in this room, and I just thank you for hearts prepared in Jesus' name. Amen. So, today we're going to be talking out of the book of Hosea. It's something that's really just kind of been burning on my heart lately. And, and I don't know why, just, I don't always spend a ton of time in the Old Testament in my personal studies, but I've just been like devouring it here lately. And not just any part of the Old Testament, the, the prophets especially. Um, so today, I, the title is Hosea Speaks. Before we go any further, let, let's just start reading it. Let me. We're just going to read Hosea chapter 1 and then... I'm going to forget all the other preface stuff I had, and I'll get into that in just a second. Hosea chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the day of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. But I will utterly take them away, yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, by horse or horseman. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, call his name lo Ami." For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there it shall be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day. Of Jezreel, So, this book is absolutely crazy. It, it is unlike any of the other prophets. So, all the other prophets, they get a message from God, and they stand up, and they speak boldly the words of God. Well, God speaks to Hosea and says, Hosea, more than your words, it's going to be your life that is my message to the people. And so, then he tells Hosea, go marry a harlot. Now, for a good, proper Jewish man of God, he was probably like, I'm sorry, Lord, I think the connection got a little fuzzy there for a second. (laughs) What did you just say? He said, yeah, go marry a harlot. In case you guys don't know what a harlot is, that's someone who goes and sleeps around a lot. (laughs) And (laughs) it's often mistaken, so a lot of people falsely attribute that to her being a prostitute. She was not a prostitute. She was just an immoral woman who ran around. So he, it says he goes and he finds a woman named Gomer. That that's clue number one that she's no she's no good. Her name's Gomer. <laughs> Young single man, if you meet a girl named Gomer, just just run, okay? And it says her father's name is Diblaim, <laughs> Diblaim, <De> <laughs> but it looks like the to blame because he probably is to blame. sorry that was a lame joke (laughs) Nick's back there like oh this is real gold right here like (laughs) I can embarrass him everywhere no so her father's name is Diblayim and her name is Gomer and so Hosea marries her and true to her nature she continues to run she continues to have affairs she continues to sleep around with other men now not everyone can understand this necessarily, but if you're in, in the room and, and you've either been a victim of adultery or you, you have yourself been one who's committed adultery, this, this message might hit a little more impactful to you. Um, but that aside, you don't have to be a victim of that to understand this message. Because God is telling Hosea, Hosea, your life is going to represent my relationship with Israel Hosea you represent me and Gomer represents Israel so they had a big problem in that time of Hosea where the people had this issue called syncretism syncretism was where they would go to the temple and they would worship God and then they would leave the temple and then they would go to a temple of the Canaanite gods and then they would worship the Canaanite gods they would worship Baal and so then they would take aspects of of the Hebrew faith, of the true faith, and they would combine it and blend it with the Canaanite religions. And that was called syncretism. And this was a major issue that God is addressing. He's just so upset that the people keep doing this. And this is actually, everybody remember a couple weeks ago, the response of a blessed people? pastor preached, and he talked about the people coming out of Egypt and how they plundered Egypt, and then they melted down the gold that they got, that God gave them, and they turned it into a calf to worship because then they started saying, well, we could do this or we could go back to Egypt. Well, this is what God is, God is specifically re-referencing again this event to the people of Israel. He's reminding them, hey, you guys remember that time your people came out of Israel or out of Egypt, and you melted all the provisions that I gave you and turned it into idols, and I had to punish you guys? He's saying, you're doing it again. He's calling out, he's saying, you guys are doing the exact same thing again. So this, this book is just, ah oh man. You read it, and it, it sounds so distant. It sounds so foreign. It sounds so so far removed from us. And then you dig into it and you realize that it is us. That it, it, it hits just exactly right, right on the nose. And the more I've been reading it and I'm, I'm just, I'm hit with it, I'm going, man, it, the, the, the exact circumstances may have changed a little bit, but all in all, we're the same people. We are the same people as before. And I'll get to that in just a little bit. But, so God has this message that he is Hosea and Gomer is Israel. And through their marriage, their relationship, their life, the way God views Israel is on display. The way God feels for Israel is on display. Like I said, if you've ever been a had someone cheat on you in, in a relationship, or you've been in a relation, or you just you're in a relationship and you just you just go, boy, I don't know what I'd do if they were I don't know how I'd react if they cheated on me. You, if you have any sense of understanding of that, that very idea alone shows you the heart of God and how he felt how he feels when his people turn away from him, how he feels when his people turn to other things. He's heartbroken. He hurts for it. He longs for it. Just like a, a, a spouse, someone longs for their spouse who's left them. He, he, he longs for you. And it's, it's just, it's incredible, the imagery, because at first your, your first instinct is to go, wow, that's kind of a harsh view. He's treating us like, like we're harlots. And the reality is he's treating us like a spouse who has left us and the spouse that he's not ready to give up on yet. And so we have three lessons from the book of Hosea specifically that we can learn and that we're going to take out of this today. There's a lot more lessons. I mean, we could just dig into this book and dig into this book. But we're going to take three lessons from it today. Lesson number one that we see from Hosea is that God will... And must judge sin. God will judge sin. And he must judge sin. Why must he judge sin? Because he's a good God. Plain and simple. He's he's a pure, holy, righteous God. And the Bible says sin cannot dwell in his presence. So if he is to have a relationship with us, and his pastor has even talked about this the past couple of weeks, if he's to have a relationship with you, the sin must be dealt with. The sin must be judged, it must be dealt with, and it's not even because he's just like, oh, I can't believe these people, I'm going to get rid of them. It's, I want that person in my presence, and they cannot be in my presence if they're tainted. And so I've got to get them to where they're not tainted. So there has to be a level of judgment with undealt with sin because he would not be just if he didn't. He would not be good and holy and righteous if he did not. Does it make sense? So he will and he must judge sin. So they had three three children together. The first child they had, they named Jezreel. They have a son and God says, name him Jezreel. So Jezreel was a place of battle known where kings were destroyed. So this was imagery. When Hosea stood up and said, I just named my kid Jezreel, the people of Israel in Judah probably went, what? They named him what? Jezreel was a valley where Israel, Israelite kings were destroyed. <laughs> it was a common place of battle where historically did not fare well in battle for the Israelites. And so for someone to stand up and said, I named him Jezreel, that was a clear symbol to the Israelite people that God was about to destroy them. They were going, Whoa, whoa, hold on, Hosea, wait a second, prophet. You're a little, little touched in the head there, aren't you? This you're you're supposed to tell us good things. You're supposed to tell us the things. That, you're supposed to tell us about how much God loves us and how He cares for us. You're supposed to remind us how He brought us out of Egypt, and He's saying, "I, I am." Remember, I'm reminding you how you turned on Him when He did that. And they're like, "Oh no, Hosea." So then He has a second child, and they name her Loruhama, which means no mercy. Hosea, he's a God of mercy. What do you mean, no mercy on us? First you tell us he's going to destroy us, and you say he's going to have no mercy? What? What are you talking about? And these people were not loving the message that Hosea was bringing to them. They were not loving it at all. In fact, Hosea probably had quite, quite the refuting, not only from the people, but from the other prophets of the day. The trained prophets, the trained priests, they were, they were showing up in their robes, and they're going, Hosea, you're crazy. You're, you're just a crazy person. You're just someone who's upset. You're just upset right now because your wife's having an affair. And he's going, no, this is the message from God. And then they have a third son, which says, his name is God says it means you are not my people. Now the Israelites are really up in arms. God said we're his people. What do you mean we're not his people? Oh, come on, Hosea. And these people, are just, they're just going crazy right now. Like, this, we're going to be destroyed. He's not going to have any mercy, and we're not his people. These are the three things, Hosea, that is not God's character. These are not God. You cannot tell us this, Hosea. People are not loving this. They are not liking this message at all. Jude chapter five, or sorry, Jude one. Verse five, he says, this is Jesus's brother in the book of Jude talking. He says, but I want to remind you, and, and I only say this for the people who go, oh, Thank goodness we're, we're in the New Covenant. We're in the New Testament now. We don't have, There's not a chance to feel God's judgment or, or God's wrath upon us. Jude 1, 5 says, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode... He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner of these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jude is reminding the people, hey, yes, he's a loving, he's a merciful God. But if you do not get your life right, don't forget, he's the God who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't forget, he's still the same God who cast angels out of heaven. By the way, if he's casting angels out of heaven, think about it. What chance do you have if you're you're not, right? He's casting angels out of heaven who disobeyed him. He's destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He's coming against sin. God will come against sin. God will rise up and defend his word. He will rise up and defend his people. And if you're not on the right side of that, the Bible talks about there is an end. There is an eternal fire. There is a punishment. There is a judgment. Right? Anybody in agreement with this? It's it's very clear. So God will and must judge sin. But... That's not his heart. That's not his heart. That's not what he wants to do. There's there's not a part of God at all that wants to destroy. Even remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah when Abraham stood up and was like, God, if if there's even like five righteous people in that city, will you spare it? And God was looking for every excuse to spare it. And he's like, yes, if there's even five in there, I'll I'll spare it. And it couldn't be found. They they just weren't found there. So it's not his heart. Let's go to Hosea chapter two. And let's go to verse 14. But, But as we're getting ready to read that, I wanna focus on the end of chapter one where he says, you are not my people. So when he says, you are not my people, he was not speaking his heart but rather he was speaking what the actions of the people said to them said to him through their lives they were telling god we're not your people we, we don't honor you. We don't serve you. And God made a covenant with the people of Israel. He made a covenant that was not dependent upon the actions of the people of Israel. All they had to do was engage and welcome in the covenant. The covenant God made with Israel was that I will be your God and you will be my people. And with the people not responding and reacting that way, God saying, look, you guys are telling me with your lives that you are not my people. They thought they were his people. They, oh, we're the people of God. They walked around with some pride in that. And as they were walking into the Canaanite temples to worship Baal, they're saying, Hey, I'm I'm a servant of the God of Yahweh, too. Which goes back to why the children were so important. The three children. They had what was called a fertility God in, in Canaan. And the ritual act and most scholars believe Gomer probably participated in this act, was she would go to the temple of Baal and purchase a male temple prostitute who was a slave, and she would sleep with him in order to please the Canaanite gods and the belief was if you if you performed it at the right time and you, you pleased the gods, that their belief was you could wake the gods up and then the gods would have intercourse and then place the seed inside of you and bless you with a child. Isn't that crazy? And that's what this, so that's what this woman was doing. And then she would come back <laughs> to Hosea, who's a prophet of God, and say, I just went to the the temple and slept with the prostitute. We're gonna have a child now. And I bet he was just like, God, why does this have to be me? Like, can you imagine how hurt he would be? Imagine the heartache, the just the tearing? And so he names these kids and it says, yet, verse 10, after naming them, yet the number of the children of Israel this is still chapter one, shall be as the sand of the seas which cannot be measured or numbered. Yet. Yet. Let me focus on that. There, there's a lot of people, you're, you're sitting there and maybe you're like, man, I've messed up in my life. Yet, God still loves you. Yet, God still has a promise and a plan for your life. yet. Stick with him, push through, get right with him, yet he's got a plan for you. It, it's, not, it's not over. So we're, we're gonna watch this now in verse 14 of chapter two. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. And I will give her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there, as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband, and will no longer call me my master. Lesson two. God will pursue us anyway God will pursue us anyway the judgment all that was it was it was a result of the sin and it could not be in God's presence yet God's saying he's saying this of the people of Israel so what we end up missing and then later on in the story was that Hosea is told by God go go win her back See this woman who's who's been she's cheated on you she just went to the temple and you've had three three kids potentially by temple prostitutes, go win her back. I imagine Hosea was like, God, can I be done with this? Like, this is just too much to bear. And he's like, go win her back. And so we see in the story, Hosea goes and he wins her back. He sweet talks her and she comes back to him. And it's like, oh yes, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And so Hosea is living out in reality what God does. He's going to pursue you. He's going to seek your heart. No matter how far you run, He's going to seek your heart. He's going to push after you. He's going to find you. He's going to speak to your heart. Whether or not we listen to Him, it's up to you. But the fact is, God's doing it. Whether it's somebody who comes across the path and speaks the word of hope to you, or, or it's you, yourself, reading the word and coming to a realization. So this is hope for your lost loved ones. Hope for those who you're praying for to come to the fold. Don't lose hope. God is pursuing them. Don't lose hope. God is chasing after them. Don't lose hope. Keep praying for them. Don't give up. Keep praying for those individuals, whether you are their children or parents who are away from the Lord. Keep praying. Keep pushing. God will pursue them. God tells Hosea to love her. And to show her mercy. To pursue after her, and he gets her. And then, once again, throughout the story, we see she leaves. And she leaves this time because he's providing, he's given her all this stuff. And she gets in her head that the other men, my, my previous husbands or the other men that I've been with, they were wealthier. They can provide more for me. And so she then leaves him once again for those things, for the riches of the other men. She's she's lured away by these things. And so can you imagine Hosea once again just completely heartbroken? He finally gets his wife back. God told him. He's like, yeah, it's going to be great. And then she leaves one more time. Hosea chapter 3. Let's read that. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's a really short chapter. So keep in mind, Gomer marries Hosea, leaves him, cheats on him, he gets her back. She leaves him, cheats on him again, gets her back. And then she leaves him again. (laughs) Honest, who in this room you'd just be done at that point? (laughs) There's not a person in this room who would not be done at that point. You got some sort of patience in you. I don't even know. Lesson three. from Hosea chapter three. Then the Lord said to me, go again. Let me stop right there. Go again. Somebody in this room, you're feeling like you've just, you've blown it. That God couldn't possibly love you or care for you anymore. He tells Hosea, "Go again." I didn't give up. Not giving up. He won't give up. And if you're in this room and you're you're feeling the heart, you're feeling the draw of the Holy Spirit, and you're going, "That that's me. Like I, I messed up. I'm too far gone." No because we're about to see right here, he says, go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. Not gonna lie, that, that verse threw me right there. <laughs> raisin cakes of the pagans? Like, like I'm picturing, like you mean like this loaf of cinnamon bread with raisins in it? Like, <laughs> that verse threw me for a loop. I did, I did probably more digging into that portion right there than any part of this. Apparently, the raisin cakes, it was not even a loaf of delicious cinnamon raisin bread. It was literally just a cake of smashed raisins. <laughs> that's it. I'm expecting something wonderful, and it's just, I'm like, well, love of the raisin cakes. Well, that's not luring me away. I like raisins, but not that much. So just a fun fact for you. These raisin cakes were used in temple worship among the Canaanites and it was often always used around the land. The Israelites ate them. Everybody ate them. So the raisin cake itself was not bad but what the raisin cakes did in the worship of the pagans represented luxury. The raisin cake, if you had these raisin cakes you were wealthy because not everyone got to eat a big ball of raisins I guess. It's just... I'm thinking, okay, no problem there. I'm, I'm going for the cinnamon raisin bread. It's but yeah, the raisin cakes, that, sorry, that's just a side note. That just threw me. I'm like, is that a mistranslation? Like, I'm like looking it up. Like that, surely that's not right. Raisin cakes? But yeah, raisin cakes. Sorry, I'm getting back to it. Verse 2. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one. And one half homers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without a fod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So he's using her now as one more illustration. So she has once again left him. She went back to the people she thought was providing for her. She thought would provide her with gold, with the raisin cakes, (laughs) with luxury She was wooed away by the world, the riches of the world and and the lusts of these men. She was drawn away by it. But this time, different from the other times, she went back. They did not take her back in. They enslaved her. This time she went back, she became a slave. She became the prostitute. This was a whole different situation for her to be in. And that's how, is that not how we are? Sin, get a little bit. Oh, we'll go back. Get a little bit. Sin will make you its slave. It will make you its slave. Whether it's pornography, lust, drugs, alcohol, it will enslave you over time. And it will take you places you didn't want to go. It will take you farther than you ever thought you would go. Surely this is the end, right? Surely God is done with her. Surely Hosea gets to be free of this moment. And God speaks to him and says, Hosea, go and buy her. So Hosea gathers up all of this. He gathers up wealth. He goes and he buys stuff. He takes it to these slave traders now or the people enslaving her. He walks in and he presents payment for her. I said, not only am I buying the price of her back, but I'm paying off all of her debts. I'm gonna pay off all of her debts. So it says, verse two, for I bought her for myself, for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. I'm buying you back, Gomer, is what he says. I'm buying you back, and you will be true to me, and I will be true to you. Lesson three, Jesus bought you back. 1 Corinthians 7, through 23 says, for he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Was anybody other than me in here ever a slave to sin? <laughs> he bought you back. He bought you back. You are a freed man. And by virtue of being that freed man, we now get to be Christ's slave. And that's not a slave. When it says Christ's slave, he's not talking about where we typically think of slave. That's that's a servanthood. That's That's a bondage That's the Bible says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We take up our cross and we choose to follow him. We choose to be true to Jesus as he was true to us and came for us and bought himself back. This was the heart of God. So not only was Hosea demonstrating how God felt toward the Israelite people as a nation, as a whole. So we, we find out later on that history proved Hosea's prophecies correct, that Israel would be destroyed. We find out that Egypt and Assyria each get destroyed. The Babylonians come in and they destroy Assyria and they they conquer Egypt, they destroy the Egyptian armies and those were the nations who God was representing as other lovers. Israel kept turning to Egypt, kept turning to Assyria for wealth and for protection and God says, no, I'm your source, I'm your provision, I'm your protection and so when the Babylonians came in, they took care of those people. Guys, what we lean on is provision. What we lean on is protection. It's going to crumble outside of Jesus. This world has nothing to offer us that's going to last. God is the only source we can have for provision, for hope, for protection. He's the only true source. As great as our country is, we cannot rely upon the country. We have to rely on every word of the living God. So they were taken away into captivity. And then we find out that even his prophecy of being restored in the sense of Israel comes true. As we all know through the Bible, the Persian Empire ends up rising up, conquering the Babylonians. And due to different philosophies and rule, the people of Israel who had been taken captive and were being held in Babylon get to return home back to Judah, where they reestablished Judah as a kingdom and set up their king. So these things all came about. And this was what God was telling Hosea about the people of that day. But as we know through the Old Testament, anything you read in the Old Testament, almost anything you read in this Old Testament that applies to the people of Israel and the nation as a whole applies to you personally today. Because it was a type and a shadow Everything that took place, it, it was saying, yes, this was for the people of Israel for today, but take the lesson and apply it today. No matter how far you think you've run, I'm going to pursue you. No matter how bad you think you've been, I'm going to buy you back. All we have to do is accept it. Could you imagine if, if Hosea had walked in to that room and said, Gomer, I'm buying you back, and he handed the men the stuff, the purchase for the price, and she said, nah, I don't want to go like being a slave. That'd have been unfathomable, right? Like, that's what people do. People do it all the time. Hey, Jesus bought you. Jesus paid with his blood. The debt for your sin has been paid. You do not have to live like a slave to sin anymore. Mm. I just don't know about that. Well, we hear it all the time. That's why you've got to keep praying. Keep praying that people hear the truth. Keep being bold to speak the truth. Sometimes we need to quit praying that people, we get really good at praying for people to meet our loved ones. We get praying, we get good at, well, Jesus said to pray for the workers to go into the harvest. I'm going to pray for that. And sometimes we forget to pray, God, give me courage to be the one to speak. That's each of our responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility, not in this church. It's easy to do it in here when you're in a room full of other believers who go, oh, I think that person doesn't know Jesus. I'm gonna share with them. It's a lot harder to do it in line at the grocery store. It's a lot harder to do it at the to witness to your waiter or waitress at the restaurant. It's a lot harder to do that. And so we've gotta pray for courage. That's, that's what the apostles prayed, that, Peter, they came back and said, Give it, we pray that you give us boldness to speak the word of God. And that's what we should be praying. It's important for us to understand all this. It is very important for us to understand all this. There were three specific things that lured her away each time. Three specific things that just each time they just grabbed her attention and pulled her away. And this is the same things that will pull each one of you away. Same things that will pull me away. Same things that will pull you away. It's the same things that would would tempt to pull pastor away. It's the same things. We all deal with the same things. They are, she was looking for protection. We all look for protection. We look for the security. How many times do we look at our IRAs or... Our stock market. Look at our bank accounts. Look at how much we've put away. Yeah, those things are good in and of themselves to have, but they cannot and will not be your protection. We cannot rely on those things. Yes, we can have them and we can prepare and do our part, but God is our provider. We cannot lose focus that those resources are his. They are his. He will provide. The other thing that leads her away is that she's looking for riches. You say, "Well, didn't you just say that?" No, no, this is a different thing. She's looking for other riches. Now she's looking for the luxuries. Forget about the protection. Now it's the extras. It's the extras. Again, extras in and of themselves are not bad, but when you allow the pursuit of those things to pull you from the pursuit of God, it becomes a god to you. It it, it takes the place of God in your life. And we cannot, as people of God, allow that to happen to us. The third thing is that she's just looking for attention. She's just looking for attention. Mm, God help us. Some of you are like, well, that's not my problem. Mm, no, it's it's a human condition. It's a human problem. We all look for attention one way, shape, or form. You guys ever heard heard anybody say, well, I went to church for a couple times. I prayed a little bit, and it wasn't working, so I just kind of stopped. Because they were looking for God's immediate attention, and when they didn't think they found it, they went for attention somewhere else. If you don't think people are looking for attention, just, just scroll through Facebook for a week and see what people post <laughs> you might scratch your head and you're, man, that's a cry for attention if I've ever heard one. <laughs> we all do it. And you say, well, how does, how does this wrap up? When we pull away in the lusts of other people and the lusts of things, we're looking for attention of that. We're looking for the affections of those things. We're looking for the security of the riches or the wealth or the things of this world or that people can give us. Single women. A man cannot take the place of God in your life. A man cannot provide you with the happiness you need. Only God can. Because if you put the weight of trying to make be, have a man make you happy, you're both going to fail and you're putting too much weight on him, a weight that he's not meant to have. Because he cannot make you the source of him being happy. The man, single men, Pursue God first. Pursue God first. I didn't get in, tend to get into relationship advice here. Pursue God first, and you'll learn to avoid the women who are going to use you and abuse you. Women, pursue God, and you'll learn to avoid the men who will use you and abuse you. Pursue God first. This is, again, this is just, I don't know, maybe it's just burning on me. Maybe things just burn on me weird and they don't burn on anybody else. And I just, but man, it just, it's inside, right? What do we keep giving our attention to? So what is this for you? What What is this thing that you keep giving your attention to? What What is it for I don't know. Maybe the one next to you. What is it? Whose attention are you seeking? Are you seeking God's attention? Are you seeking your own attention? Because that's a thing. We seek the attention of ourselves. Everybody ever seen somebody and you go, "Oh, he's a little full of himself." <laughs> that tends to be all of us at some point. All of us. Hosea chapter six, verse six says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. What is God saying here? Jesus actually quotes this again in Matthew 9:13. I don't know if that, we have that up there. But he goes again and he says, for this is what it was meant. Yeah, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come... To call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Desire mercy. Not sacrifice. So one of the problems the people of Hosea's day were having, that he was addressing, was they they were abusing the poor. Their riches, they were consumed with wealth, and they were abusing the poor. They were... Marginalizing the poor. There had become two classes, the wealthy and the poor. And they were the rich were taking advantage of the poor constantly. And then the rich would walk into the temple and they would say, Here's my money. God is pleased, as they turn around and they begin to walk to the Canaanite temple. And God's like, You're you're missing the whole point. I don't care about your money. The money's just supposed to be an act of obedience. It's, God doesn't need your money. It's, it's an act of obedience. That's what it was about. He says, before you bring your big offering, how about you go drop some to the poor person on the way here? Give them some money. That would be a greater sacrifice. That would be a greater offering to me than just dropping it off into the temple. Now, it was important, don't get me wrong, the temple tax and the temple was important. The The tithe, it helped keep the temple running in the day, but... That's not, God didn't need it. That's just how it got set up. God didn't need that to keep it going. God says, I can sustain my temple. I can sustain my people. I don't need it. This is just a sign of obedience. And he's going to get with the program. Your offerings mean nothing if you do not have mercy in your heart. The same mercy that I'm giving to you, drawing you back each time. If you do not live your life with that same mercy, your offerings are pointless. That's what God is saying to him. And I desire an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. He says, pursue me. I don't care that you give a burnt offering to me. I I want to know you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're in this church today, you coming to church this morning is not in and of itself a pleasing act to the Lord. So if you think you're coming in and gonna do your Christian duty, I'm gonna show up but you're already thinking about where you're going to be eating afterward. I've been there. I I tell the story where this, (laughs) I was, I get on students for sleeping during service, and I tell the story then about how, yeah, one day I was in, I was sitting at church, and all of a sudden I I see this, and I'm a Colts fan, sorry, I, I see this picture as the Colts playing the Jaguars. And the last seconds, the Jaguars kick a field goal within the last seconds of the game. And beat the Colts by two points. And I'm like, oh, man. And I wake up and I'm going, oh, I can't believe the Colts already lost today. And I'm sitting there going, oh, wait a second. I was, I was a teenager. So I'm like, wait, Colts haven't played yet. I'm still in church. Oh. I'm sleeping in church (laughs) and dreaming about football. (laughs) And then, of course, you see all the kids are like, oh, he did it. So we, we have this message. What? What is important to us? What, what are we thinking about when we come in? Are we really giving God our all? Are we really pursuing God? Are we seeking to know him? Or are we just doing Christian duty? Are we really bringing offerings out of obedience and out of a, a broken, contrite spirit saying, God, I know that you blessed me with this. And because you've blessed me with this, I am blessing back to you, God. Is that why we're giving offerings? Or is it, oh, man, I kind of had a rough week. Maybe if I give God some money, he'll... Get it? Or, you know what, some preacher on TV told me if I give this amount, I'll be blessed back to this amount. So are are you giving to God for the blessing? Are you pursuing the blessing? Are you pursuing the stuff he gives? Or are you pursuing him? Or are you coming to church to sit in a seat to secure your seat in heaven? Which, by the way, these seats probably won't be in heaven. So if you have the same seat that you sit in every week, hate to break to you, it's not gonna be there when you get up there. Is that what it is? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. If Ben could get ready, come up here as we close. And I want this to kind of just be, as we end this, The pastor's been talking a lot lately about the importance of getting out and serving. And he's really, he's been talking about this. Going, getting to a place where it's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's about, not even necessarily about this church. It's about a people who will be broken and contrite before the Lord and have a humble spirit and say, God, I don't know exactly where we're going with this. I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. All I know is I want you. All I know, God, is I want you. I I don't care about the money. I don't care about the wealth because that's the reality is all God wants is you. He wants your heart. Now if offering totals drop this week, I apologize, Pastor. <laughs> Pastor Matt said they didn't need our money. <laughs> he wants you. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you. But the problem is we are turning the world into our God. As a people of God, we're walking in and we're in a time when we are turning things into gods. We always have. Pastor Matt, what, what specifically has become my God? Anxiety can become your God. That's that's a mental disorder. Jesus set you free. You don't have to walk in anxiety. Don't turn back to it. You say, well, are you saying if I'm struggling with it? No, no, that's not what I'm saying saying don't live in it. You don't have to live in depression. He sets you free. What do I do if I'm having an, anxio- an anxiety, an anxious episode? Turn to him. And I don't mean to say this to if you're going through these things, I'm not trying to belittle it at all quite the opposite rather and if you take medication for it I'm not saying that that's wrong don't don't get me wrong the protection of that is not your first source it's not your healing it's not your God pursue Him Pursue Jesus. Well, what else? What else is my God? I don't struggle with anxiety. I sports. Sports are our gods. They even joke. The God, the football gods, we're smiling on them today. The basketball gods, we're smiling on them today. We joke. Sports have become our gods. And I don't mind telling you, as a youth pastor, I see high school sports in this area is a God, big God. Are you saying high school sports are bad? No, I'm not. I'm not. And I might get stoned afterward for saying this. I love sports. I love baseball. I love soccer. I never played basketball very well, so I'm kind of a basketball fan, but... You guys can start playing. When you consistently miss church because of sports, it's a God. I'm not saying every once in a while, again, don't don't get me wrong, don't take this to the extreme. Not condemning all sports or, or the fact that people love them. I, I remember, and this was actually a, a moment in my life where I was about to be able to play for a baseball team. And I was so excited. stop MLB, here I come, like I was, yeah. And then my parents said, we told them no. They play on Sundays in other states so we wouldn't get to go to church. Honestly, I don't know if there was a moment in my life I've ever been madder. but I can look back and think today that was the best decision they ever made parenting me in my entire life. (laughs) Some of you, your kids have become your gods. You do anything and everything your kids tell you and ask you to do right when it's asked. their jobs have become and it's found in Jesus Christ and no other name. It is the name of Jesus that breaks the chains, that breaks the bonds, that sets you free. And we look at what's going on right now in Asbury. Revival taking place. And I'm thankful for that. I am thankful that that's taking place and that it's on display for the world to see right now. And I know that there's even some in this room who have gone down there and and been able to be a part of it. And I'm glad for you. But also know this, revival is not a place. Revival broke out because people refused to leave the presence of God. And if we sit here and we say, well, why doesn't revival come to us like that? When's the last time someone came up to you while you were praying and said, you're the last one. Turn the lights off when you leave. When's the last time you were the one at the altar when somebody came up to you and was like, it's time to go. No, just give me more time. When's the last time your thought of, I need to be at that altar and the presence of God was stronger than, what am I gonna order at Crossroads? When was the last time? Where are the people lingering at the altar? We say we want revival. I'm so glad it's happening. And I'm hearing, we're hearing stories of it popping up at different places now around the country and around the world. Praise God. I don't want to go to those places for revival. I don't want to go to those places to be a part of revival. I want it to be here. And it can only be here if it starts here. So, man, I've been challenged this week, reading the stories of this revival. And I'm sitting there going, what am I doing? What have I been doing? While Hosea is speaking out that God's coming after me, I'm going to the store because i got too many things to do. meetings on my schedule. I got this and that. I don't have time to just get fully in the presence of God like I need to. And it's not an excuse. That's because it's a bad one. Reality is I can make time. There's time. Everybody stand up with us across this room I, I love that song that we we sang right then I didn't tell him what I was preaching on but the line prone to wander I'm prone to leave this God I love if that's not me before anybody in this room I don't know I'm just as susceptible as everybody. I'm just as capable of just letting the world and the gods of this world consume me and distract my attention from him. God, we need you. Father, forgive us for turning to the things of this world. Forgive us for turning our backs on you time and time again. Jesus, thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross that covers all of our sins. Holy Spirit, thank you for carrying it about and coming into our lives and redeeming us. Holy Spirit, draw us now. Draw us closer. Each of us, as everyone starts praying across the room, Holy Spirit, draw us closer to you. Cause that hunger and the fire to burn in our hearts for you. Father, we want nothing else but Jesus to be glorified in our midst. We want Jesus plain and simple. Jesus, we need you. We repent of the things that we've done. We turn from those things. Jesus, we need you. Forgive us for putting things before you. Forgive us for thinking we can buy salvation or through just doing good things. Father, we want you to break our hearts for what breaks yours. this room if you say, Pastor Matt, that's me. I, I've allowed something, anything, whatever it is, there's there, there, there's no comprehensive list of what can we can allow to be put before God. And you say, I truly, truly want to get there. And, and I'm just going to say, this, I, I believe this. Well, there, there, there's in terms of physical location, there's nothing necessarily special about the altar. But in terms of the presence of God and getting out of your comfort zone, saying, I am going to get to that altar, and I am going to let God know that above everything else, I am putting him first. When you get up there, there's just something happens about getting out of your seat and getting right at that altar. So if you're in this room and you say, I need to get to that altar. I need to tell God I'm coming after him. I'm going to pursue God the way he's pursuing me. If that's you, come right now. Come to the altar. Don't wait. Don't take your time. Just just get out of your seat and come up to the altar. Hallelujah. Father, I praise you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. touch. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't delay. Don't delay. You know in your heart you need to be up here. Just get up here. Just come right now. Hallelujah. This is not about emotionalism. This is not about hype. This is about you getting in connection with the God of the universe. Hallelujah. 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 We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you did, make sure you like and share on social media to help spread God's word. If you'd like to learn more about The Bridge or you'd like to give, you can go to our website at thebridge129.org. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.